Mike Murphy here welcoming you to the first Senior Times series of podcasts. Over the course of the next months, it'll be my pleasure to interview and chat to some of Ireland's most prominent and interesting people. We'll also be hearing from experts on pensions, health, financial planning and mindfulness. Thanks to our sponsors, Zurich, Expressway, Doro and the Sports Surgery Clinic. Welcome to the Senior Times podcast. I'm delighted to have as my special guest today, Ireland's leading fitness guru, Pat Henry. Pat, it's lovely to have you here. Are you, do you mind me calling you? You can call me anything you no, like. I meant the guru. I didn't the mean guru, Ireland's sounds leading. Good. My I hair meant is, the guru bit. The guru is fine. My the hair guru. is not quite as long as it was, but it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Nora's black as it was. Nora's black. When I met you before, all those That's very years true. back, ain't that the truth? It is Actually, true. the difficulty for you these days is your son Carl could conceivably claim the title Ireland's leading fitness guru because well, he's running the Operation Transformation. Team. Yeah, and he's doing really, really well at it. He's very good on the program. I did it for I think two years, and it really wasn't for me. So he uh, was there on the program as well. So uh, both of us were on the program together, which was great. But uh, I think he's doing really well, and he's involved not in the gym. He has his own business there, but we go under the same Pat and Carl Henry brand. But he has his own brand, Carl Henry. He wants to you know, have his own sort of personality. To get away from the to old get man. away from the old What man. do you mean it wasn't for you? I found the Operation Transformation is a fantastic program, but I found that RTE said I was too godlike. Too what? I don't understand it, but he said I was too godlike. And that uh, <laughs> I really don't were know you, what it means. Had you a number of commandments? Were you issuing commandments? Well, I was trying to teach people how to um, how to relate to the food and to... to I, mean, I suppose it was a little bit tough, a little bit tough love. I don't like this sort of nicey-nicey stuff. I think if you're acting the maggot, well, then be told you're acting the maggot and get on with right. it. And I don't like this sort of, I know, you'd be grand, like have a prawn sandwich and you'd be grand. I'm not into that. I just sort of say, look, this is the program. Either you're on it or you're not on it. And maybe I was a bit too hard. But I enjoyed working on it. And Carl is doing a fantastic job and the show was a great success. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on Expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like pedalling to the top of the hill and knowing that now it's just freewheeling all the way to your front door. Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich or visit zurich.ie. Zurich Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. You and I know each other from the time you opened up the gym in 1986. Absolutely, right? yeah. Down in Lower Pembroke Street in Dublin. Yes, it was great to have you in the gym. The first major celebrity that we had in the gym was yourself. It was wonderful. <laughs> I hate that word. Well, no, the, the famous Mike Murphy coming into my gym. My mother taught you were the God's gift to the universe. She thought it was fantastic. And you did a piece on me, and the, and the Herald wrote a piece on me about how you enjoy the gym and you and Pat Henry's. And because you mentioned that, my mother was thrilled. And she rang my aunt up and said, Mike Murphy mentioned Patty in the paper. And unfortunately, she passed away that night, but she was happy. Because oh, no. Mike Murphy mentioned that I was in, you know, he was in my gym, and she was really happy with that, to get a mention like that. So I hope good. she was happy. I mean, she was, yeah. She had, they were great people. And the she fact that, that she passed away that night <clears throat> yeah. a bit. It was a bit strange, but oh. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we'd know uh, what was happening, and she just went to sleep and never woke up. 
Listen, can I talk to you, by the way, about your background? Mm -hmm. I, I heard that you only discovered in the, would it be the somewhat recent past, that you were adopted? Absolutely. Um, I thought I was, uh, my name was Pat Henry, and that was all that was to it. But um, my brother came over to me one day after we had a bit of a barney. Now, when is this? Uh, I'd say it's about maybe eight years ago. Okay, now um, can I mention that you're, do you want to say what age-ish you are? I don't I'm mind. 71. So you're 71. Okay, yep. so <clears throat> go on. So so my brother came over and he stood in the doorway of the gym and said to me, look, you know, he says, uh, I went down to get my birth cert and I was told I was up in the adopted section upstairs. What? And that's how he what was told. What age is he? he Thomas is about 64 now. So he was upset, and he came over to me to tell me, and I said to him, you're not adopted, for God's sake, don't be so ridiculous. So he told me the story, and then obviously I got upset, and I rang my wife to tell her that what had happened. She couldn't believe it. Then I rang my aunt, who's the only living member of the family, and her first words were, I'm going to bingo, she says. I'll call you in the morning. I said, you're not going to bingo. I'm going to go in and see you now. So I spoke to her on the phone, and during the conversation, it slipped that I was adopted too, that my birth mother put an ad in the press baby for adoption, four people turned up, and I was handed over to my parents. No legal documents, no nothing. And uh, the priest fiddled the documents. That's how I became Pat Henry. But in the birth cert, there is no Pat Henry registered, even though I have a birth cert. My real name, as I found out three days later, was Patrick Ahern. That's my, that's my name. How, um, how long ago was this? This is about eight years ago, yeah. So um, I, I was obviously not upset. I was a bit sort of taken back by the whole thing. And my wife sort of rang up a few people. We got a name on the paper of a certain name of a family uh, whom my birth mother had married into. And I rang up the place called Clara Hand down in Clonmel to say, look, is there such a person living in that town? And the, the person down there said, don't be so ridiculous. There's no such family in the town. But I rang the guards in Clonmel and the guard called John Ryan. He said, my father owns a pub in that village. And he rang his father. And was my birth mother's two brothers having a pint in the pub. And discreetly he found out her, her name, married name. And my wife then looked up the phone book and there was about 10 names in the phone book. She rang up one of them and this child answered the phone and Mary said, is your grandmother there? And this lady came to the phone and Mary's, after talking to her for about 10 minutes, she said, I think you could be my husband's mother. So she hung up the phone. And she? then I rang my aunt and I said, if she doesn't answer the phone, I'm going to have to go and knock on the door. As I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong here, but I'm entitled to know who I am. <clears throat> so I ended up anyway. Um, she, we agreed to meet outside Sherry's at the Abbey Theatre in Abbey Street. And I walked, yeah, I walked down the street like wondering what this woman's going to look like. So I went down and were anyway. you with your brother now? Or no, just I was on my yourself? own. I wanted and to go did on my brother, own. Did your brother know you were going to do this? I told him I was going to do yeah. it, yeah. So we went down, I went to Abbey Street on my own deliberately to try and get the feeling of what it was going to be like. I didn't know whether it was going to be emotional or whether it was going to be catastrophe. So I saw this woman standing outside the Abbey and we looked so alike, it was scary. And there was no hugs and no hellos and no nothing. It was just sort of, you know, hello, that was it. So we went for a cup of tea in Sherry's, for the, the coffee shop. And uh, I said to her, like, would you never wonder, you know, what happened to me and where I was? And no. And uh, did you not wonder how it turned out? No. And uh, she said that um, she had a fling with a guy in Nace. And I was a result of it. She kept me for six months in Rat Mines and then put an ad in the paper. Oh, and what about your brother? 
I found out I found out for him who his birth mother was, but he wouldn't he wouldn't be as forceful as me. It was a different birth mother. Yeah, she oh, was I, up the oh, north. I thought it might have been the same. No, no. It was a different mother. He was adopted <clears throat> from a posh place in Lisa Street, some private nursing home in Lisa Street. And uh, we found his birth mother up the north, but he wouldn't um he didn't want to go up and she didn't want to see him. Um, but he wouldn't go up and pursue it, so I wouldn't be as nice as him. I wanted to find out what I could find out. Now, she wouldn't tell me who my father was. She said she didn't know, which I didn't believe. And um, we were meant to meet up after that, but it never really happened. We never met, and she never wanted anything to do with me. And when I rang up, um, she told my aunt that I wasn't wanted when I was a baby, and I'm not wanted now, so feck off. That was basically the words. So that was, look, and that's the way great parents, and I was able to handle that. But, it, you know, you do feel a bit of rejection, and it's yeah. about to make a little bit of sort of emotional feeling with you. But um, I met her children later on, so I was on Marion Fanukin. I was at a party, actually, in Bill Cullen's house, and Marion was there. And Mrs. Lawler, where my mother worked in Nace, was there. Lawler the in Nace? Yeah. Yeah. My mother worked there. And I was telling Mrs. Lawler, story and she said that would never have happened in my hotel because the the workmen would have been outside the hotel and it was never a hotel that sort of that would go on so she said so Marion heard the story and asked me would I go on the air so I went on the air and told the story and then I got a call from a guy and said he's a tax he's a revenue uh, man I said oh here we're in trouble here so uh, anyway he said I know who your, your, your brothers are and I'm going to tell them who you are so he ended up telling... Um, your brothers now would be the, the sons, the, the other children yeah, of your the, birth mother. Yeah. So there was two brothers and a daughter. So about six months later, I got a call at midnight, one night saying, hi, this is Michael here. I believe uh, you're my brother. So we met up. And the gas thing about it is he works in the same business that I'm in. I don't believe Yeah. That. Does he, he really? He runs a gym. No. And his daughter is a world champion kickboxer and a guard. And, uh, yeah, and his other children are doing the same courses that Carl did in, in UCD. Um, so it's sort of, we, we got on really well. And then um, he, he wouldn't tell his mother he met me. So he, he was in the house, same house, but he wouldn't tell her that he had met me. He said it was upset her. So one of the brothers eventually found out about it, but he didn't tell him. And she, he said it to his mother, and she said, I don't want to talk about it. That's the end of it. It's never going to... There's no, no connection going to be there at all. And um, she died about two years ago, and that was the end of it. So since she died, uh, I believe the family were told to have nothing to do with me, and that was the end of it. So we never made any more contact. Did you go to the funeral? I did. It was quite strange because I'm glad my wife wasn't there because Mary is very forceful. And this one of the brothers got up in the pulpit and said, well, my mother loved children and blah, blah, blah. And Mary was saying, if I was there, I would have walked up the aisle and said, hang on, there's yeah. another one down here. <laughs> what about him? And when, I was when the people were leaving the church, people recognized me and knew that I had been adopted. And I didn't know these people. Did they recognize you from uh, your from, mother, or well, did they know the story? No, they, they knew the story, and um, did they? they didn't. They had heard it. But I also rang up friends of mine uh, who I had played in bands with over the years, and I palled around with since I was a child. I said, did you know I was adopted? Oh, yeah, we all knew that. <gasps> all my friends. How they, I said, like, why didn't you tell me? And they said, sure, why would I tell you? There's no reason to tell yeah. you. you know, like, and, of course, they assumed you knew as well. That's it. So it was sort of a strange situation. But I had great parents, and um, like I could have ended up in, in our town boys' school and, or anywhere mm -hmm. else. So I was lucky I had good parents. <clears throat>
they must have been wonderful people who adopted the two of you. They were fantastic people. But my, I felt sorry for my brother when we went through it because he was in, he was as good as footballer as Georgie Best was. He was so good. And I worked in the Grafton Health Studio on Grafton Street, and one of the coaches from Manchester United came in, and he went to see Thomas play, and he wanted to give him a trial for Manchester United. But my parents wouldn't encourage him to go, because if he had a went, he would have found out he was adopted. Because he was, uh, he would have to do a medical, and he asked your history, your family history, and so on, and so on. So that my parents never encouraged him. And he, and after that, he won the Football of the Year in Ireland for about six years in a row. He was so good. But I felt, for him, I felt sorry because he never got a chance to fulfill his potential because he was a seriously good footballer. What was his first name? Thomas. Tom. Yeah, and he's a great, he's, now he's a great footballer. But uh, he doesn't really have any regrets. He's not, not like me. He's, yeah. he's, he's happy with his lot. He wouldn't want to be pushing the, the barriers out. And, Did uh, you get over it? <laughs> Someone only asked me that actually last week that I got over it. I don't think you ever get over those things. I think if you're, if you're good in yourself and you feel good in yourself, you're okay. But if you're anyway inclined to be emotionally sort of upset in, in general, I think it would play on your mind all the time. Like, I drive home past our house nearly every night when I'm going home to Meath. Lives in Sony Batter. Lived in Sony Batter. So for all those years, we could have met and I would never have known that this person was my mother. You know? Um, it was sort of a strange situation. Well, I, what, I, what hurt me more probably was no wondering what happened to me, you know, yeah. how you ended up. And I did okay. I said to her, I'm not looking for anything. I don't want any any inheritance. I don't want anything. I just want to know my history. Yeah. And uh, then I, I was doing a medical and he said, well, do you have a family history? I don't. So you don't know where you are. Uh, but I have two birth certs. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Senior Times. Being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like being poised to click at 8.59 and bagging tickets to the gig that sold out in 30 seconds. Got them. Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich or visit zurich.ie. Zurich Life Insurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Now here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone designed specifically for an older person. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. At Doro, they are dedicated to helping seniors live a better life without compromise. Doro helped make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. After all, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, kindly provided by Doro, is to go to the website www.seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. To see the full range of Doro phones, visit www.doro.com. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones. Making technology easy for all. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits! 
And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. What happened? How come you mentioned that it kind of runs in the family, being in the gym business? It seems to be. Yeah. How how come you went into that? Like, were you, were you very athletic <coughs> as a kid? Were no. you a boxer? Were you a wrestler? Were you into contact sports? <coughs> I was the um, the youngest general manager at Fantasy Shoe Stores, and I became the best uh, shoe salesman in Ireland. I was the first guy to serve women, men serving women's shoes. I was really good at it. I used to hold a lady's foot up and I'd make sure the shoe fit <laughs> properly. You didn't make them cry, though, when no, you said your feet are too no, big. No, I didn't. And I, I eventually, um, there's a friend of mine called Kevin Duffy, and he was my hero. I want to be like Kevin Duffy because he was had a nice car, he had lovely clothes, handmade clothes, and Louis Copeland suits and Ross and shoes. So I said, I want to be like him. So I eventually beat him in sales, and I became the general manager. And then I got the lovely suits made in Louis Copeland, so I got the shoes. And my company car was a Mark 10 Jag. I thought I was James Bond. I was only 21 or 20. And um, eventually we opened up a company, both of us, called Pick a Shoe. It was the first self-service shoe company in Ireland. And we did well, but he started to want to spend money on nice cars. And I said, no, hang on for a minute, let's keep this tight. And in the end, I got so fed up with the whole thing that I actually did the Farmer's March. Remember the famous Farmer's March in 1968 or whatever it was? Yeah. I ended up getting a job in the farm down in Manowar for a pound a day picking, picking the potatoes. And so the car was costing me more to get down than it was than picking <laughs> the potatoes. But I wanted to change. I had enough. I was fed up with the whole thing. And uh, that's where I met my wife, actually. was in fantasy, so I was 16, and my mother brought me up to get the job because um, I was a bit shy. And uh, I went in, and I saw Mary standing there. She was an apprentice secretary. And when I saw her, the first thing I said to her, this sounds really weird, you're the person I'm going to marry. And the first said, time you saw her? Yeah. And she said, oh, okay, this guy's really weird. And uh, we got married four years later. And uh, that was the first thing I said to her. And she, that was, you know, at 16 years of age, if your son said to you, I'm going to see this girl, I'm going to marry her. And you're still going strong. You were 50 years married, this, uh, 51 this year, and four yeah. years going out with each other. It's a long time. How many children? Two, Cahill is 47 and Carl is 37 last week. Uh, and um, what about opening the gym? What made you go into that? Well, uh, what happened was actually I worked as a yoga teacher for 16 years and I did a stupid exercise where I demonstrated going into an altered state where you can put your head on one end of the chair and your feet on the other. And I was animated in the middle and this guy put two people up on my, up my, my waist as I was sort of on, on these two chairs and he put a third guy up, and the third guy slipped. And I heard a crunch in my back, and I felt really sick. So I got down, and stupidly, I went to Cork the next day and did a demonstration again. So I ended up, after six months of being osteopaths and naturopaths and chiropractors and so on, I couldn't walk one day in Grafton Street, and I fell on the ground. And he brought me to the hospital, did a myelogram where they put a big needle in your spine, as you know, take the fluid out of your out of your brain and put a dye in and rotate you on the bed. And he said, look, you've got a disc, a bulging disc. He said, look, you're in great shape, you're fit, we'll have you out in three days. Went down for the operation. On the way down, the surgeon says, I see it's your left leg that's causing the problem. I said, no, it's my right leg. So he turned the chart up the other way and saw that the, 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 the bulge was on the right. That should have been a warning. So I woke up the next morning after the operation and he'd taken the wrong disc out of my back and oh. I was paralyzed after the operation. No. My foot dropped and my right leg and hip was completely paralyzed. And they came in and said, the wrong disc was taken out of your back and we're really sorry, but you're oh. paralyzed and you will not walk again. 
So I'm lying there in Gaga land and I just want to figure out what the hell's going on here. And they have to turn you every half hour in the bed, you know, to make sure you don't get any bed sores or any infection. So the nurse turned me in the bed at a faulty terror moment, forgot to put the side of the bed up and threw me out of the bed. And the wound opened <laughs> this up. Is, this, is, this is more like this a wound. This is wound. As it goes down. So it ended up that here I am lying on the floor. And, gag and again, she said, sorry. And they, they, they get me together, bring me down to the theatre, stitch me up again. But I didn't notice any of it. I was on some other planet. So anyway, they were all running around the place. And uh, then the surgeon comes in the next day. He says, look, he says, we can go in again and remove L4. And he says, but if we do, even 90% chance of total paralysis. But if we don't, you're going to be on huge medication for the rest of your life. But you won't be able to walk anyway. So I said, for your job as a yoga teacher, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> so anyway, my wife went home, and one of my uncles had given me a small piece of a, a cross of Padre Pio. And Mary said, at that night, the piece of the cross was beside the bed. She said, you heard this voice saying to her, look, tell Pat to go ahead with the operation. I'll be with him, and he'll be okay. So she came in the next day, I'm cutting the story short, and um, she told me the story. I signed the form, went down for the operation, and the pain was gone. The operation was success. So I came back, and I realized then that God, or the woman above, or anybody, was sent, giving me a message. Something had to change here. I was very unhappy where I was in, in my job, and I really felt I had no confidence. I'd lost myself as a person. And I think this is a sign that I've got to do something or else you're dead. So I had two children, and like we were, we were broke, completely broke. And I ended up anyway uh, realizing this was happening for a reason. So I've been teaching the yoga for so long, so put your money where your mouth is. And I started doing the whole series of exercises with a rope in the bed, uh, pulling my leg backwards and forward. Got into a swimming pool then at the airport eventually, and Malachi out there put a rope around me and pulled me up the pool to try and get my leg to move and get my brain to get it work. And after three months, I walked into his office, and he, he said, it's a miracle, whatever you've done. And he says, your bill is seven and a half grand. He says, we call it quits because you've gone through enough pain. So I said, fine. So went home, had a chat with my wife. We're living in Dunabay at the time. Said to my wife, you know, what am I going to do? She says, I'll tell you what you're going to do. We're going to sell the house. We're going to move back in with your mother into one room, clear off any bills that we have, and you get out of town and don't come back until you find yourself. So... I went over to the, the person I was with and said, I'm leaving, and he wasn't very happy. And um, then we sold everything we had. I sold my guitars and my cameras and everything I had. I have Upside and Beatles, all that. And I went to Los Angeles on my own. Mary said, don't come back. We moved in with my mother in one room. And uh, I arrived in California, and I trained the Vince Carondas GM in 73, the famous Vince Carondo, who trained Marlon Monroe and John Wayne and all the great stars. And I went to train with them in 73 for a bodybuilding contest because I'd read so much about them. And we got on really well. And uh, I said, he said, like, what are you doing here? I said, I'm looking for work. And he says, okay, start in the morning. My first job was as a manager in the Vince Carondas gym. And my first client was Helen Mirren. And Brad Davis from Midnight Express. Oh yeah, yeah they, they were yeah. they were pals. They were living together, and um, they, I just got on really well. And I stayed there. And then he wanted me to take over the gym. I ended up working with people like who were in the gym, like Tint Eastwood and Eric Stradov and Chips, Doug McClure, 
all the great stars who were in Mara, Brian Keith. Is that where you got your love of kind of celebrities and showbiz? <clears throat> well, because you, you've all, I mean, I've known that about you. You love showbiz, you well, love talking about it, don't you? I was funny, I'm with your great friend Gay Byrne, Lord of Mercy, and them. I was coming back up from uh, Cork one day, I used to listen to Lyric. He was telling a story about Bing Crosby, and that was my first uh, meeting with uh, Celeb. I got a job with the Tara Record Shop in Tara Street, and then you had to put the albums into the sleeves for tax reasons. The albums used to come in separate from the sleeves. So Jack Fitzgerald gave me a job and uh, getting a pound a day. So I'm putting these sleeves into the record. Who walks in the door only Bing Crosby? I'm sitting there, standing there, Bing Crosby walks in. And then the press came in, and this blind girl came in with the White Christmas album. And she went to go to Bing Crosby with the album to get it to sign it, and the press guy pushed her out of the way completely. Get out of the way, we're going to meet Bing Crosby. Yeah. He saw it. So he comes down the aisle of the, the little shop, he gets me by the arm, he gets her by the arm, and brings both of us into a private room upstairs, sings Happy Christmas to her, White Christmas, signs the album, and that was my first episode with a, with a celeb. And George O'Reilly, obviously, was a good friend of, of Bing Crosby's. And then later on, then, we met Bing Crosby and Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra in New York and so on. So that was my introduction to these great stars. Was always, I was always a big fan of, of uh, like, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, who I, we did documentary on them as time went on. And um, these were great people. You mentioned Roy Rogers. I remember many, many, many years back you telling me about your idolization Absolutely. of Roy Rogers. Yeah. And I remember the time, and I think I said it to you, I couldn't believe you were interested in a, a dude like that. Yeah. I mean, he was wearing these silly, fancy shirts. Yeah. You know, he dressed, and then he married to Dale Evans, right? Yeah. The horse trigger. Yeah. And I, I always remember many, all those years back, Pat, I, that must be 35 years ago or so, you told me a story about going to visit or going to pilgrimage yeah. to Roy Rogers' house, am I right? Yeah, absolutely right. So I went to the house, and we got on really well. He was so nice to Carl and Carl at the time. And it ended up that I came back with an idea to Shay Healy and said, Shay, have an idea for a documentary. So we put it to RTE, and I went out as the gopher with him. We filmed the documentary on Roy Rogers. And Roy Rogers came right up in his big Hardy Davidson with his two six guns and his hat. And he was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So Roy Rogers, Roy he wasn't Rogers. a real cowboy, for God's sake. Kit Carson was a cowboy. Uh, and what Kit Carson was, was well, not real. William Boyd wasn't a real cowboy. He no, was, Kit Carson, William Boyd, he was he, he was Hopalong Cassidy. I'm yeah. talking about Kit Carson. But Kit Carson originally was a, was a real cowboy. Yeah, I know he was. But William Boyd, obviously. But Roy Rogers, was he ever a cowboy? No, I no. didn't think he but was. He looked no. good. He, he looked like a pain. <laughs> I know, he was fantastic. <laughs> and he, I have all his movies, and he signed books for me, and his Dale Evans was fantastic, and his son Dusty, we became good friends, and uh, we kept in contact. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's such a happy time meeting him, and then I met Gene Autry, and the same thing, I'm just a big fan of, I remember seeing Roy Rogers in, um, coming down Amon Street with the Wild West show. Oh, he yeah. He came in with a horse trigger on the train, and then they were performing in the Royal didn't he? I was going to say he appeared in the theatre. Yeah, because he my aunt was the usher. And the horse as well. Yeah. Well, Trigger. the stage was as big as nearly as the Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> did the horse sing, do anything? The horse unusual? sang and did all sorts <laughs> of great things. <laughs> Being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like putting your out of office on for your holidays. Start time now, end time two whole glorious weeks from now. Happy days. 
Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich or visit zurich.ie. Zurich Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Let me ask you this. How come your gym has been immensely successful? And as far as I know, you're still in exactly the same premises, which is in Pembroke Street, and it's a basement in Pembroke Street. Basement sounds awful, doesn't it? Downstairs sounds better. Okay, downstairs. <laughs> and we have upstairs now as well. Oh, have you? You have the upstairs now, we have upstairs. <laughs> because, uh, but you've become amazingly successful in those it's, years, haven't you? Things have been really good, but we, we, you know, we, we do a good service and we look after a lot of people. We, um, I aim for, the, I suppose, the celebrity market. I yeah. aim for looking after all the bands that come in. We take care of all the Aiken Promotions bands and look after all the movies that come into Dublin. We take care of all the actors, get them ready, whether to be doing the nude scene we have to get them ready in good shape for it sorry the nude scene well, as on, you, the you don't have them undressing in front of you or well, making no, them no, cry no, while no. they're undressing well some of them do cry after their workouts <laughs> but we had the Vikings in recently and the major, all the major actors from there we've had all sorts of people and what do you had. do you, are you building them up you're toning them well they have to get rid of the fat first because they're looking a bit flabby so we've got to get them tight looking once you strip off a lot of sort of strip off scenes in Vikings and some yeah. other movies as well and um, so you want to tone them they have to get toned so we get all the, all the people we've had everybody in from David Bowie we've had Bruce Springsteen in we've had really um, and do, do they keep in touch with you like have you have some you, of them we got on great yeah. we have very good relationships um, Wayne Sleep the great dancer we became really good friends tell you a quick story about Wayne Sleep um, Wayne Sleep is, is a great character but he's, he's hard going now and uh, you know he was doing the thing for Chris Roach as you know Chris the great Chris Roach Chris, he was a lovely guy and uh, we were we got him over to do a, a gala in the National Concert Hall and next of all Wayne goes missing and I couldn't find him anywhere so we went down to Bagot Inn and there he is palatic drunk in, in, in the, the Bagot Inn <laughs> so I went there looking for him and I was trying to open the window to get a bit of air in and this other guy was there, this big rugby guy. So he ended up pinching this guy's bum. And the man turned to me and grabbed the hold of me. He thought it was you. me. <laughs> so we eventually got him back to the gym and we sobered him up and he got on the stage and he didn't miss a beat. He no. was absolutely, Chris was petrified. But Wayne of is over to London anyway and to the Royal Gala and um, everybody's in black tie and so on. So the Swan Lake was almost fantastic. So afterwards was a dinner and we went in. Our name wasn't on the list. There's no name of Pat and Mary. I said, geez, where are we going to sit? So all these people were there, like Richard Branson and so on. So anyway, Wayne says, come over here and sit down here. So Richard Branson is where you were. Lady Chich is there. Robert Powell is there. All these great celebrities are there. So I'm sitting there with Mary. And who walks in? Only Lady Di. Lady Di? And where does she sit down? Only beside me. So oh, I stood up on. and I said to her, I stood up and said to her, you're so you're much more beautiful in person than you are oh, in you're photographs. Such a small devil, and aren't you? she got real embarrassed because seemingly you don't say that to, to to royals. And she was very sort of conscious of her smile, and she put her hand up to her mouth, and she sort of got really embarrassed. And like Wayne looked at me and said, "Oh, Jesus, shouldn't have said that." But we ended up anyway. Before she left, she gave us a beautiful photograph, a specific, unusual photograph, signed saying, "Lots of love, Diana." And we kept in touch then in Kensington Palace. We sent her a letter to see. It was great working with you. And then when I came home to Dublin, it was on the paper. 
Pat Henry with Prince Diana. <laughs> I didn't be able to hear the grass growing. But Wayne, Wayne was fantastic. Uh, he he brought us to many very amazing sort of situations. So we did, I did become friends with a lot of the people that we worked with. Yeah. I trained with Doug McClure, you know, Tramp, Tramp is from the Virginia. I remember him well. Yeah. And it was a great trick. The, the trainer in the gym where I worked, I couldn't believe what he was doing. He used to bring uh, you know Doug McClure in, and he put the tape, the measuring tape, in hot water and expand the tape. So he come out and measured your man up, and he says, God, you've lost three inches off your waist. So I'm saying to myself. So I said to him, Doug McClure comes in to me and says, what do you think? I said, I think you're fat. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean I'm fat? I said, I think you're fat. I said, like, you're a good-looking man, but you're fat. And, like, I remember you as Trampus, a good-looking man. So he said, but your man tells me I've just lost three inches. I said, come on, do you believe that? Look at the mirror. <laughs> Anyway, we became great friends and became training partners. And uh, he, he, he liked the honesty. And I got on in the gym really well because I was really honest with people. I had nothing to lose yeah. except my job. Can I ask you something now, since you mentioned that? I notice I'm, I mean, I'm of an age where I probably could be less, but you look more great. and less fit than I am. But I'm putting on weight on, around my stomach. Okay, now I am. I mean, I'm kind of a bit self-conscious about it because, well, now I've been a little inactive over the last year and a half because I had a couple of different injuries here and there. But what's the best way of treating that? Is there is there a way? You know, when you're just when you're putting on weight, and I know there's a lot of people who be listening to this who might be putting on weight around <coughs> their stomach. What's the well, best way to deal with that? The, the simplest way of explaining it is: as we get over thirty, your body starts producing human growth hormone. Stops producing, producing human, human growth, growth hormone. Human growth hormone is what... <laughs> it's grow- Mine is growing. I'm afraid I well, wasn't a lot. But what happens is, when it stops producing it, your body starts increasing body fat, your skin decreases, your muscle tone decreases, you get depressed, your life, uh, your anxiety sort of levels increase, and you find that the zest for life is gone. So as we get over 30, when this happens... Men and women, their bodies start producing and get getting more fat around the stomachs for the men and the hips and the legs for the girls. And the biggest business at the moment worldwide now coming to Ireland is Tetro Clinics. They're called T-E-T-R-O. And what it is where they're giving you a patch to put on your shoulder and that increases your hormone level. Because as we age, the body starts to lose the hormone levels. And they found from an aging point of view... The most successful way of increasing your hormone level is weight training above any other exercise. What it does is it's we're built to move and push and shove and lift things genetically. So when you start training with weights, you'll find not heavy weights now, light weights, at any age from 30 to repeat in the gym 80, the hormone level starts to trickle in again. The body fat drops down if you watch your diet a little bit as well. And three times a week, exercising, not doing much stomach exercise. The bigger the, the more stomach exercise you do, the bigger your waist gets because the muscles inside start pushing oh, forward. Okay, yeah. So you're talking getting, about literally lifting weights. Lifting light weights, two lifting and a half kg weights. to five kg <clears throat> weights. You don't need to go heavy. The trend at the moment is all these heavy weights for 15 minute workouts. I think you need more than that. I think you need light weights going fast. I think you need a low glycemic diet. People are on a, a low glycemic diet. For example, things like rice, pasta, potatoes, bread, sweet corn, beetroot, popcorn, which is another fallacy. People eat popcorns for slimming. Anything with corn in it is high glycemic. Is that good? Bad. That's because right, that increases that's bad. sugar. Yeah, okay. So it, you see these people going into movies with these huge yeah. buckets of popcorn yep. and a big... Uh, yeah. 
thing. So only COVID. last week. And, and I mean, uh, so that is BAD. It really is. So what they're suggesting is to obviously change to brown bread, to brown rice, to brown pasta, and keep your sugar levels in your food down as low as you can. Don't be drinking these orange juices and cartons, or you know these um, all these juices you see. They're full of sugar. Okay. Like for example, if you have a huge glass of orange juice, like it would take three oranges to make a glass of oranges. Would you eat three oranges? No. You wouldn't, but you'd drink it down very quick. Uh, water, drinking. My daughter, who is into this thing in a big way, tells me that I should be drinking water on a very, very, very regular basis well, during the day. I think you probably want to do a litre or two litres a day. I don't. I drink when I'm thirsty. Yeah. Uh, oh, there are a lot of people shoveling a lot of water down. I, I don't think that's right. I think still, still water. Still water, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still water. Still but, water. but if you can get still water, it's very hard to get, yeah. um, you know, distilled d- water. Pat Henry, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Well, as part of our occasional series in the podcast here, we're talking to people who might be able to give advice or introduce listeners to new facets of wellness, so to speak, in terms of physical health, mental health, and whatever. And today I'm delighted to welcome Andy Franklin Miller, who is consultant physician in sport and exercise medication in the Sports Surgery Clinic in Santry in Dublin. That's a bit of a mouthful, Andy, isn't it? <laughs> it um, is. Okay, you're a consultant physician in sport and exercise medication. Now, the first thing I want to get out of this is you are involved with the Sports Surgery Clinic in Santry, and it's known as a sports clinic, obviously, in the title. But is it open to old-timers like me who would nearly feel I'd better dress up in an attractive tracksuit to go out there, or could I go out there in my ordinary everydays and be accepted in uh, to get advice and consultation? Absolutely. Look, you know, even though we have sports very heavily in the name, um, we cater for exercise medicine, muscular pain, joint pain in everybody. You don't need to ever touch a golf ball or a football or run a half a meter to, to be a patient with ours. So uh, if you have pain or you need help in terms of uh, lifestyle or exercise, where your location? You can go, and it's out in Santry and all of those things. I'm going to concentrate today on um, illnesses that are kind of age-related. And I, I take it, and I know that uh, from your point of view, uh, it would be very important for some of these age-related illnesses, which I will get you to enumerate, um, that exercise becomes a very much a part of rehabilitation or of just ongoing uh, wellness. Absolutely, and that wellness and lifestyle term has lots of negative associations. We all know about social media and looking at fitness models and lifestyle bloggers with the latest fad, the latest diet, uh, the latest top exercise. And I think um, it's very easy to exclude a lot of the population, whether or not you're, you don't fit into that 20-something population you know, on a yoga retreat. Um, and I think that's where sport and exercise medicine can help significantly. So. We're all physicians. Um, we've trained in medicine, hospital medicine. How broadly. many of you are there, by the way, out of the sports clinic? There are eight of us. We're the largest centre of sport and exercise medicine in Europe. Sport and exercise medicine. Okay, so what else do you do in there? So, so it's broadly a, a mix. So where you might see an orthopaedic surgeon expecting an operation in terms of needing some surgery, we see exactly the same shoulders, necks, arms, legs, feet, hips. ankles, hips, yeah. uh, backs, 
and as well as a population who are needing help to manage their other things going on with them. So how we know as we all get a little older, and um, we're likely to pick up a number of medications along the way, be it for raised blood pressure or yeah. type 2 diabetes, or, or even pain with osteoarthritis. Um, and trying to look at the latest research, a lot of these conditions have a huge benefit from starting exercise. What kind of exercise? Okay, say, say let's take um, blood pressure. I suppose that probably is the most common. I know arthritis would be, and I, I really am talking about the older generation, this, the age-related thing. Um, if, if it is blood pressure or uh, diabetes or, or any of these, what kind of exercise are you talking about? Well, look, it's a great question because the World Health Organization will tell us in a very broad terms, 150 minutes of exercise per week um, shows some evidence in reducing your blood pressure by 10 millimeters of mercury. So we know that there's two figures, a systolic and a diastolic pressure. So that's two pressures that people will have measured regularly. Um, drugs can take it down by a similar amount. So there are good studies that show irregular exercise can match the performance of drugs, which is great news for everybody, really, yeah. in terms of managing that. But the advice on what to do is very lacking. So is that 10 minutes of brisk walking twice a day? Or that is it really is my question, yeah. I yeah. mean, okay, so walking, uh, you said 10 minutes of walking, is that what you said? Well, if we've got to get to 150 minutes a week, we've got to get three 10-minute walks in five days a week, which actually for some people is pretty tough. And so there are other ways of designing a program, and it's really a case when we have a consultation, it's a finding what excites you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you like doing? Because there's no point in me telling you, listen, I'd like you to go and play five-a-side football if it's the worst thing in the world for you. You don't even want to even think about it. Um, likewise, you might not be a golfer. So going out and spending two hours on the course might be a great way of getting in that 150 minutes of exercise to meet that criteria. But it's probably not going to push you hard enough um, in terms of brisk walking that we really need. So a lot of this is very individually designed. Would you say a half? Uh, you're talking about doing three 10 minute walks in a day, but actually it might suit better to just go for your one daily walk and make it a half hour. Would, uh, would a half hour fairly good walk be adequate exercise, do you think, in total for a day for somebody of advanced age? Absolutely right. However, the trick here is that it has to be at the right intensity. So in terms of the prescription of exercise, and we talk about that quite a lot in terms of it's a little bit like writing out a script for a medication, um, it's important to get the intensity right. So it's a voice that you should be out of breath enough to be able to maintain a conversation, but not sing a song. So actually, you've got to be out of breath a bit just to actually to make that beneficial. And very often, going for an amble probably isn't going to get you the benefit where that blood pressure fall we'll see yourself. So it needs to be prescribed in a way that you can go out there in order to struggle to, to maintain that conversation um, so that you know you've got the right level of intensity. So it shouldn't be just a dawdle around the park. Absolutely right. You should be actually trying to put a bit of pace on it. Yes. Or even would you vary it? I mean, you go on an easy bit and then you, you walk faster for a, a, a while, for 10 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever. Absolutely. And there's a piece of research which actually is, is quite valuable is that you can vary. It doesn't need to just be what we'd call aerobic exercise, so the brisk walking. Getting into a gym and lifting some weights, doing some resistance training can be of great benefit and you get more bang for your buck. So half yeah. an hour in the gym lifting some weights, it's probably worth 60 minutes or so worth of the brisk walking. So if you're in a time poor or it's a struggle to yeah. get this right, um, then getting into the gym, doing a program there, 
you can d- get more out of less. If okay, you like. let's work on the basis though that people have an aversion to go into gyms or they feel they're too old to do it or they don't want to or they can't afford it. In terms of the exercises then they're going to do. So, okay, that's walking, varying the pace and building up to where you're nearly breathless or you're you're certainly panting just a little bit by the end, right? That's one. That's walking. Now, give me another couple of exercises that you're talking about that are kind of not necessarily gym-related, but that you could do at home or around the neighbourhood. Well, we take that a little step further and talk about intensity of exercise. So back in this prescription, get on a bike, get in the pool and do some swimming, but rather than just saying, well, look, you want 30 minutes of this or 40 minutes of it, it's really, again, research demonstrates that a concept called high-low or high-intensity exercise can actually be much more beneficial. So again, you might swim as fast as you can for 10 seconds, have a 40 or 50 second break, and swim fast as you can again for another 10 seconds. Do that 10 times. That's a great bit of exercise. Yeah. Um, and so it's, the, it's really getting the dose prescription of this right yeah. rather than just doing it. And of course, we need to make sure that there are no reasons why that, that particularly the high intensity work is safe enough to do, putting in context everything else that's going on potentially with the patient. Yeah. Andy Franklin Miller of the Sports Surgery Clinic, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. That's all from us for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again. The Senior Times podcast is produced by Conor O'Hagan and brought to you by Senior Times magazine in association with Zurich Expressway, Doro, and the Sports Surgery Clinic. This is Mike Murphy saying goodbye for now.